Good morning. It's good to be here again today, um, Sunday morning, and uh, so glad we could gather still in person as well as uh, online. Um, just uh, as, as um, Victory had said just a little bit ago, um, the youth will be online, but on another note, uh, we are planning purposefully to take the last Sunday of the year and the first Sunday of the year and go online. And that is uh, strategically placed because sometimes with family, there's gatherings, and uh, we want to avoid con- getting anybody else sick. Um, although, isn't it been great to be able to get together, even with masks? Oh, yeah. Um, but we will start back up in January 10th. Uh, so even we have next week and then the Christmas Eve service. Um, but then we're planning on the 10th, is gonna, we're going to kick off again, uh, Lord willing. And we were going to be uh, jumping into our series on fasting and prayer. So I want to challenge you that you get prepared for that. You know, the fasting season is coming. So some of you maybe don't even understand what fasting is or prayer. Some of you just came to know Christ during this crazy COVID season, this crazy 2020 year. So I want to challenge you that, that uh, we're going to try to help you get, get prepared for that. Uh, last week, we started this series called Dwell. Uh, this is part two. Uh, we had uh, Pastor Matt DiMatteo here last week, and so you can catch up with that online. Uh, but I, I wanted to highlight how powerful we had two brothers go down there. Uh, I believe it was Friday morning. Rick DeCal and Luis Gonzalez went down there, and they helped out with food distribution, and they were able to see physically what's going on there. Uh, but our Christmas offering is going to be focused solely on that. Um, and so there are these uh, red envelopes uh, you can give uh, physically if you are here. Um, they're Christmas envelopes, so all the whole offering will go uh, for Christmas will go to that. Um, and uh, if you want to give online, there's a, a section there on our website that you can give specifically to that as well. Uh, the message today is called God in the Garden, Regaining His Presence. I don't know if you've ever been <coughs> to a movie Remember those days when we could go to movies um, and sit physically and not be all like worried about contagion? And, um, but I don't know about you, but my wife and I have had this thing going all the time. I like to be early or right on time. He said, and she would always tell me, no, but there's going to be like these previews and hey, the 10 minutes of previews. And yeah, they have long previews, but I don't want to miss the beginning of it. And, and so... Here's what would happen. Sometimes I'd say, okay, well, let's, we'll get there. And yeah, the previews. It's, then we get there, and they already started the movie. And here's the worst thing about that is if they started the movie, you could actually miss out on the whole story of it. And all the whole time you're sitting there wondering, like, ah, what's going on? What's going on? I believe it's very the same way when it comes to God's presence. Many of us, we don't understand the whole idea of God's presence. We don't understand the power of God's presence. We don't understand how you and I were created for God's presence. And we live our whole life wondering and kind of in the dark because we don't understand the plot that God has for humankind. And so all our lives, we're kind of wondering, and we're trying to fill our lives with other things. We're trying to fill our lives with uh, greater success. We're trying to fill our lives with greater, uh, a better job. We're trying to get always ahead. And so what happens is we don't understand 
that what we truly need and what you as a person truly need is God's presence. And when you miss that beginning, I believe the Christmas story as we are, are celebrating, we've done this for many years all around the world, uh, Christ followers come together and they celebrate that one time that Jesus came in human flesh, born as a baby, human, fully human, and fully God. But I believe that the Christmas story will never make sense until you understand the beginning of the story. So today I want to take you and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. And if uh, you don't have that, we will have it. We should have the scripture that we're going to follow along. We're not, we're, going to, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but we're going to go through it little by little. Uh, so if you have your Bibles or your phones, you can tap in there. But why should you listen? Because I believe you need to understand the importance of restoring his presence in your life. Somehow, some of us have lost the presence of God. Some of us have never had the presence of God and understood the presence of God. Uh, some of us, uh, we need to re recapture his presence. We need to recapture or regain his presence. Um, you know, as we talk about Christmas season, one of the words that have describes this whole idea of God's presence is the word Emmanuel. Now, some of, I've heard, I've met brothers or people that have their name his Emmanuel. Um, Emmanuel basically means God with us. And so that word itself, even we sang this morning about Emmanuel, we sang about his presence. But what were we celebrating? What were we singing about? We were singing about that fact that God dwells among his people. In Matthew 1, through 23, as the curtain of the New Testament opens and we see and there's a connection that God, through his Holy Spirit, is helping us understand is the reality that God came in human flesh, born as a baby, to dwell among his people. And it says in verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him what? Emmanuel. God with us. God present with us. Um, that big idea today is when we lose Emmanuel in our lives, we lose out on life as it was meant to be lived. If you have not and you don't practice Emmanuel, many times you can live your life in anxiety, fear, uh, consumed by life, consumed by this world, consumed by the fears and all those things of this world. But if you and I start practicing the presence of God, that we start practicing Emmanuel among us, it can change us. It, it can help us and remind us of the fact that God is with us. I don't know about you, but one of the greatest things that the enemy tries to make us think is that God is not with you. I don't know if you ever struggle with that. God, are you really with us? And sometimes we face bad things in our life. We think, well, God, are you really with us? God, are you really with me? And then when we think that he's not with us, we kind of begin to wonder, God, do you really love me? And then we start trying to fill our love in different places in our life, other relationships. I like how Victory prayed this morning of just saying that, man, God, you're the one that fills us. We need you. We need to have a hunger for you in our lives. I want to talk to you briefly about four things that we see Emmanuel's presence do in our lives. 
If you go at the very beginning of Genesis 1.1, we see that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it says in verse 2, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. We see that God created everything from nothing. He's always existed. God Almighty, all-powerful, has always existed. But he has created everything that we see in this physical world by his own power, by the power of his word. And by Genesis chapter 3, that we see the beginning that God covered. And in the chapter 1 and 2, we see God formed everything. He created everything. He spoke everything into being. The stars, the universe. It's not just one galaxy. It's many galaxies. And we're still discovering all about that, aren't we? Even today, well, we discovered a new planet. Whoa, 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 whoa wait. You're, you're throwing me off here now. I went to school. I started that there's only a certain amount of planets. And now you're telling me there's another planet? Because see, God is so amazing, so powerful, so majestic. And, and isn't it hard to understand sometimes, God? But as we are called and revealed in Scripture, at the very beginning, the curtain opens, and then we see that God created the perfect world. And, and notice in chapter, when God created man, he created him in his own image. He had a relationship with him. He would come to the garden. God is, is a God that looks for fellowship. He looks for a relationship. He created man for relationship. He says, let, him, let us create him in, in our own image. He said that. And what is he saying? Us. He's talking about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Created in his own image. And so that as a curtain opens to, and as we understand the beginning of the story, something quickly after he created Adam and Eve. Something happened that would change everything forever. The first thing that we need to understand about Emmanuel's presence, that is his presence takes us from chaos to meaning and purpose. Sometimes our life, and there's so many people today that live without purpose, without understanding about the fact that God loves them so much and is longing for a deep relationship with them, but they don't understand. And why don't they understand? Well, we'll find out here. Let's, let's read chapter 3, verse 1, when everything started to change, something happened. There was something that happened that changed the presence of God and that Adam and Eve lost that, that presence of God in their life. In verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Notice what the enemy started doing at the very beginning. God had told them, listen, you can eat from all the garden. He created this beautiful garden, the Garden of Eden. He created it beautifully. He created it with the right foods. And I mean, think about it. I can't even imagine what it would be like. If you love to cook and you love to eat, man, there were no fajitas yet. It was all vegetarian, I hate to tell you that, but all nuts, fruit, man, imagine the stuff that we could eat. He said, listen, enjoy this. I made this for you. I want you to enjoy it. I want you to enjoy me. I want you to enjoy what I've created because what I created reflects back to me. It reflects to who I am. I, I'm a father that loves to give good gifts. I, I'm a father that loves to bless you. I'm a father that loves to have enjoyment in your life, that you would enjoy life. 
But then came this serpent. Well, now it wasn't a serpent itself. We know that Satan is a spirit and he loves to possess things. Right? So he takes this serpent and he starts speaking through the serpent and obviously there's innocence. There's, there's innocence in Adam and Eve's lives. He approaches Eve and what happens? He says, did God really say... You must not eat from any tree in the garden. I mean, did really God say? And notice how he does. He, he misquotes God. What the enemy tries to do, he tries to twist what God has said. And he'll make it subtly a twist so that it does it and it loses the meaning of what God really intended it to mean. And Satan took God's positive command. Notice how God said, if you look at verse 16 of Genesis chapter 2, it says, And God, the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Say any. Any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So God says, listen, any tree that you want to eat from, eat. Delight yourself in. But there's one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't touch it. I mean, I don't know about you, but if God told me, listen, you can enjoy all this, but don't go to that. Isn't it in our sinful human nature? You tell your kid, hey, listen, you can have your whole house. My house is your house. Mi casa is your casa. And listen, you can enjoy everything. You can enjoy my cars. You can enjoy everything, but you can't touch my Ferrari. <laughs> but our sinful nature, what it does is we start looking at it. Now, at that point, Adam and Eve didn't have a sinful nature. But because a twist, the twist of deceit of the enemy, he rephrased it in a negative way. God had put it in a positive. You are free. Say free. You are free to eat from anything in this garden. Anything in this garden you can eat from. But look to what the enemy says. God won't let you eat from any tree. In other words, what he was saying is literally, listen, God is putting limits on you. God is putting limits on what you can do. God is putting limits on what you can do and can't do. And you, you shouldn't go that way because that's really not what God is saying here. God is saying that you can enjoy everything. Listen, a little bit of, of, of sin, a little bit of deceit, a little bit of doing this or that, it's okay. Why is he saying that? See, because the enemy looks for cracks in our spiritual life in understanding to gain a foothold of deceit. Then he pries open the door to confusion and chaos. We start getting confused because, see, once the enemy starts taking the truth and starts subtly twisting it, what happens is it kind of brings confusion to us. Like, wait a minute, what, did God really say that? Did, did God really, what, what, what was God really meaning with that? I mean, after all, we, we, you know, really God, that's not his character to say. I mean, God does never limit. But God says, listen, you can be free to do that. See, because the, God frees, brings freedom to our lives. The enemy brings what? He brings and co he, he, he confines us. He, he twists things around because his whole goal is to get us trapped. 
to find us in a place where we don't understand God's truth. Look at what it says in verse two. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Now here's the thing. Even Eve kind of didn't get it right because she kind of, Sometimes we can hear God in what he says, but we don't follow through. We're not so intent on it that we, that we can twist things around in our own mind. We can start thinking and, and really believing things that are not true. See, Satan's main lie to us is this. Sin is not that bad, and God is not that good. Do you see the subtleness of it? There's a subtle thing where really what the enemy's trying to do in our life today is trying to make us think that really sin is not that bad. After all, because you, did, you sinned and you, 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 you went out of God's design for your life, then all of a sudden you, you just expect God to be this guy up there that's got a big old stick or a hammer, and he's just going to hammer you. Listen, God's not that. God's desire is that he would have a relationship with you and me in such a big way. See, Satan's strategy has never, you think it changed from the very beginning? No, it has not changed. Verse 6 says, when the woman saw, I want you to underline saw, that it was good, that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. See, the temptation that the enemy brings is this. It's really the lust of the eyes. She saw the lust of the flesh. She saw that the food, she saw the food, and then she ate it. She, she wanted to eat of that food. And then the pride of life. She wanted to gain wisdom, to be like God. The, great, the greatest deception of our, our time, you know what it is? That we are little gods. The New Age movement came up and with, a, with a big push and, and, and to make us think that, oh, I, I'm a little God. See, really, humanism says that I can get better and better and better and better and better and better through my own efforts, through education, through, through getting better uh, in my thinking. If I gain wisdom, I can get better and better and better, that I'm getting better. Listen, that is not the beginning of the story. The story is that something happened, and when that happened, they, she saw the fruit, she ate of the fruit, and then she, something happened. There was a transaction that happened. Sin entered the world. Disobedience. Really, sin is saying, missing the God mark, missing the mark of God or the standard of God, falling short of the standard of God. See, we all have legitimate desires that we try to meet in illegitimate ways. Isn't that true? We have this legitimacy, uh, a desire to have companionship. So uh, you're young and, and, and you're, you're saying, man, I, 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 just, I really am desperate to get married. I haven't found the right one. Well, in the meantime, maybe I'm just going to shack up with this person. Because, you know, after all, I have a need. And God, God knows that I have a need. And what happens is you find yourself meeting a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. And then she gave some to her husband. And they really, the theologians, what we see as we study scripture, they call this the fall of man. Something happened at that moment where the fall of man happened. 
And there was a separation for the first time between God and man. That was the fall of man. But here's the thing that we need to realize. His presence brought us from chaos to meaning, but we lost it. The blessing can only be restored through the second Adam, Emmanuel, God with us. You see, that Emmanuel, that, that Emmanuel, God's presence had been lost, but that's why God throughout even history, even if you look at the Old Testament, God's desire was always to dwell with his people. Think about when he called Abraham, Abraham to follow him. He called him, you're my, you're my friend. He called Adam and his friend. Uh, looking throughout history, you see that God raised up out of a, a captivity. The, the people of God were in captivity to slavery. They were bound to Egypt. And what happened? God called them out, brought them into follow him. He, he instructed them to, to build what? First of all, he was, he was with them in the cloud and in the fire. Fire by night, cloud by day to lead them. His presence was there. And then he says, he instructed Moses to build what? A tabernacle. A place where the God's presence were there, where there'd be worship of him, there'd be a relationship with him. Even the temple was built in such a way that it, it, it showed God's glory, his power, his majesty, who God is. But God's heart has always been to dwell with who? With us. But that was temporary. That was only pointing to the reality. The tabernacle is an exact representation of what we, see, what, 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 what we will see one day in heaven. Where God's presence dwells fully. But how many know God's presence is here among us? Jesus came. That was, that was the advent of the coming of the Messiah. King Jesus himself, fully God, fully man, coming to this earth to restore what Adam disobeyed and fell into sin with. The second Adam came to what? Undo what the first Adam had done. That's why Jesus is called the second Adam. I want, if that's so important to understand. So his present takes us from chaos to meaning and purpose. You have a purpose, my friend. God has called you. My question to you, where are you being deceived right now? What sin is the enemy trying to get you to go a different direction in? What is he trying to have you meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way? I pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal that to you. A second thing that we can learn is that his presence takes us from living in shame to being accepted in love. Notice what happened after the fall of man, after they disobeyed God and man fell into sin. Verse 7 says, And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden of the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man. Who initiated it? It was God. But the Lord God called to the man. Where are you? He answered. I, I heard for you from the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Notice the situation that happened, and what, what were the results of uh, that separation from God. First of all, separation from God brought what? It, it brought shame. 
uh, and, 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 and feeling unaccepted, feeling not forgiven, feeling in, uh, not in a relationship. I mean, we see it. We see it in the fallen world that we live in, don't we? Think about our own kids. You know, when they were little, daddy, you'd come home from work, pick me up. And you'd go and you, they'd run to you when you'd walk into the door and, and then you'd pick them up and you'd hug them and you'd wrestle with them and you'd give them hugs and all that kind of stuff. And, and then they became teenagers. <laughs> they did something wrong and like, uh, yeah, nah, you know, hi, dad. Hi, dad. And it's, it's kind of this, this thing that happens. And, and so what happens is sometimes when we, when, when, even with the, the result I've seen in sin is you feel guilty, you feel shamed. You, you, you feel like I can't come into the presence of God freely. And so that was lost. And, and, and sometimes our response to the sound of God is a direct indicator of our soul's condition. So a lot of time when you look at your life and how you respond to God's presence can either reveal, it actually can reveal like what may, maybe what's happening inside of you. What's the condition of your soul? In verse 11, it says this in verse 11. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I command you not to eat from? See, God knew. Do you think God didn't know? Every time you see in Scripture God asking a question, he's trying to get to the root of it so that he can get and, and open your heart to the reality so that you and I can see what's our condition. And, and then we see the man said to the woman, you put her here with me. <laughs> so what was he doing? He was blaming God. Well, it was her fault, Lord. I mean, but ultimately he's saying, God, you gave her to me. So he started sh blame shifting. He started blaming uh, the other person uh, for what had happened. Uh, Adam did that right away. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me. And I ate, it was, it was the serpent's fault. But ultimately what they're saying is, God, you made the serpent. I mean, so really ultimately when we come down to it, we blame God for everything. But there was, there's shifting of blame. There's actually uh, this, this shame that we go through. Instead of being accepted and loved, now we feel apart and, and far from God. And, and when you and I sin, it's easy to blame others. It's easy to blame God about our sin. The woman blazed a serpent, and uh, they were naked and unashamed. But notice Genesis 2.25 says they were naked and unashamed. And just a one chapter later, Genesis 3.8, basically now we see they were covered and full of shame. I love this, Psalms 34.5. Now, you, I, I, this is so encouraging because you and I can live in God's presence. You and I can have a relationship with God before, like, even the fall of man. We can have that kind of relationship with God Almighty. It's possible through Jesus Christ, through the second Adam. But notice what happens. We see in Psalms 34, 5, we see the, one of the psalmists cries out, this is those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Are you looking to God for the solution to our problem of sin? There is a solution 
to our sin. There's a solution to us being separated from God. You might be here today or you might be listening online to the reality. You say, I feel so far from God. I feel separated from God. I feel shamed to come into his presence. So some of us, we even avoid the worship because you know why? When we worship, you know, something happens in worship. The Bible says that God rides upon the praises of his people. And so we find that, that, that many people, uh, they'll avoid the worship, but they want to just hear the message. I'm thinking, why? Why don't you want to be in God's presence? And I'm not just saying worship. See, our, our life should be a, a life of worship. Our life should be a life free from shame. And the only way you can find that is through the one person, God with us, Emmanuel. That's where you're going to find it because God wants to dwell with his people. So we see his presence takes us from chaos to meaning and purpose. Secondly, from living in shame to being accepted and loved. Thirdly, we see that his presence takes us from brokenness and pain to great joy. After the fall, we see, starting with verse 15, we see that there was consequences to their disobedience to God. They're opening that door of disobedience to God and fall, the fall of man. What happened? There were consequences. We, for example, we see the serpent's curse. There was a curse. I mean, you know, sin, disobedience to God brings curse. For example, the, we see the serpent in verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. Notice what it says, though. This is powerful. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. What is that referring to? That's referring to Jesus. He says, listen, there's the curse. that you're, you're, Now you're going to be crawling on the ground. So in other words, maybe the serpents at that point would stand up. And I don't know, if, I don't know how they did it, but maybe they hopped around. I don't know. You know, like, I don't know how they moved around, but the part of the curse was they're going to crawl on the ground and there's going to be enmity between what? Man and the serpent. I don't know about you, but one of the greatest fears of certain people is the serpents. Snakes. And what happens, snakes like to bite what? Heels. But you know what's powerful? Satan bit Jesus' heel. And he cru was crucified on the cross. But Jesus, being fully human and fully God, what did he do? He rose again from the grave. And in that step, he crushed Satan once and for all. I don't know if you caught that. Satan bit Jesus' heel. I can imagine what he thought at that day when he finally, Jesus, the Son of God, fully God, fully man, was crucified on a cross and he gave his last breath. His last words were to tell us that, which means it is finished, which means paid in full. And when that was pronounced, and he died and he gave his last prayer. He gave up his, his ghost like the King James Version says. The enemy thought, man, Satan thought, I won. But see, Satan doesn't know everything. He's not all-knowing. God's all-knowing. 
And we realize that through scripture, Jesus, when he rose from the grave, crushed Satan's head once and for all. That means you and I can experience freedom in our lives. We see that there was a woman's curse, and these are things that we struggle with today, right? I love how Romans 16, 20, speaking about crushing Satan's head, Romans 16, 20 says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Uh, so that we may face hard times, but one day uh, that whole will be fully complete. We'll see God fully reign on this earth. The, wom- the woman's curse was to the woman, he said in verse 16, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. I mean, so that's part of the curse. Women who've had babies, you know that pain, right? I don't know that pain. I saw my wife go through that pain, but that pain is part of that curse. So we're experiencing some of those things even today. The man's curse was, curses is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. How many of you work hard? Men work hard. And a lot of women work hard too. We live in a day. But part of that curse is that there, it's not wasn't going to be like enjoying a Garden of Eden where we're going to, hey, food comes out of every, every plant. Now we're going to have to work for it. Now we're going to have to work hard to be able to live. And then we see that the whole creation is under the curse. Romans 8, 22 through 23 gives us great hope. Verse 22 says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we also ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. See, when you and I come to faith in Jesus Christ, you know what the main thing is? The Holy Spirit, when we repent of our sin and we turn to Jesus for forgiveness of our sins, what happens? Our sins are forgiven. The Holy Spirit is deposited in these temples of clay. These temples of clay. The Holy Spirit, God, the third person of the Trinity, is deposited in our life. And what is that deposit? It's a guarantee of what is to come. It's saying it's paid in full. This is my child. Psalms 16:11 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. See, all creation right now is groaning. What we see right now with creation, the earth is groaning. A lot of people think, you know, humanism says we gotta, we got to save the earth. This earth is passing away. This earth is passing away. It's, it's, it's in commotion. It's, it's grumbling. It's groaning. Why? Because it wants to be liberated from the curse of sin. Until that glorious day when one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And we will be in God's presence forever. So his presence takes us from chaos to meaning and purpose. From living in the shame to being accepted in love. From brokenness and pain to great joy. And lastly and finally, his presence takes us from being banished to being welcomed home. Verse 22, it says, starting with verse 22, it says, He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. 
So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim, or angels, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. There were actually, there was also a tree of life there. And that tree of life was, was actually there. But notice what God did after they were sent, they were cast out of the Garden of Eden. And they were, they were under the curse. And then we see that God put an angel there with a big old sword, fiery sword. Now, why would God do that? There's a reason why God did that. Notice that the tree is not the tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil, but it was a tree of what? Tree of life. Why he did that is he didn't want Adam and Eve to go back into the garden, eat of the tree of life, and live eternally forever separated from God. He didn't want them because if they had eaten from that tree, they would be in a place where they eternally they would be separated from God. God wanted to reestablish the relationship that he had with them before. See, the whole message of this Christmas and of Advent is about restoring Emmanuel in our lives. Jesus undid everything Adam did and did everything Adam failed to do. See, Jesus took what Adam had failed in and he did it. He said, listen, I'm going to step in. That's the only solution. I'm going to step in because, listen, he was fully God and fully man. And he took upon himself human flesh. And as a servant, he came under the full will of God the Father and he gave his life so that you and I could have life. So that we and I could partake so that you of him and we would be able to be reconciled to him, brought in back into a right relationship with him so that we could have this eternal life that he wants you to live and I to live in his presence eternally. Eternally. Romans 5.12 says this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, speaking of the first Adam, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned, he goes on in Romans 5.19, as he envelops this whole truth, he says, For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. So what is God saying here? That Jesus, through the sacrifice that he came to die on a cross for you and me, he fulfilled and brought his righteousness so that we could be forgiven and brought into the relationship that is right before God. Why? Because God wants to dwell with us. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. See, Jesus came as Emmanuel, God with us. He was born the second Adam without sin. He breaks the power of sin in your life and my life and restores us to an original place of relationship with God. Some of us here, we never truly understood that because of our sin, we were born with the sinful nature because of Adam, the first Adam. 
Now the second Adam came 2,000 years ago and died on a cross. He was born a baby, fully God, fully man. He didn't lose his deity. And he died on a cross, and his purpose was that he would be Emmanuel, God with us. Your sins, many of us think that there are sins in our life that God could never forgive. Listen, there is no sin too great for God's forgiveness and his blood to cover. If you come truly in repentance and you say, God, I confess that I need you. I confess that I'm a sinner. Because the reality is this. This Christmas could be a Christmas like no other Christmas in your life. Because what you have, if you are separated from God, you are broken, lonely, you don't understand the true fullness of what it means that God's presence is with us. But when you turn to Jesus, God forgives our sins and cleanses us from our sins. And he washes us clean and he deposits his Holy Spirit in our life and he guarantees what is to come, that it's eternal life with Jesus. I don't know about you. That's what Christmas is all about. Emmanuel, God with us. As we close today, I want to give an invitation. Some of you have been separated from God because of your sin. You were born naturally in sin. We were all born. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. We don't measure up. We could never measure up. No good work could ever overdo the sin that we have committed. Now, some of us could compare ourselves with each other, but that's not what we're doing. We're comparing ourselves before a holy God. But God is here to offer, to restore his presence in your life. He can take your life and restore it. In fact, God is in the business of restoring lives. How do I know? (laughs) There are many proofs. I've seen the most vile, evil people, including myself, be forgiven and brought into a relationship with God. And I've experienced God's presence sometimes so overwhelmingly strong in my life. Other times, I'm hard-headed. I still struggle with the sinful nature. But, oh, Jesus died for me. And because of his forgiveness, I have a relationship with God. And I, oh, I can't wait till that time that there's no more hindrance of our own sinful nature. That one day we'll be in his presence and it'll be restored. And, oh, the world... Is, is, is going deeper, deeper into darkness. But you know what? That's when the, sh- the light shines brighter and brighter. Some of us, if we're not, we weren't experiencing what we're experiencing now, would never turn to God. Because our humanist side of things says, man, we want, I, can, I can be right. Because I, I, I'm, not, I'm not worried about tomorrow. I'm going to live my life. And then at the very end, I'm going to make it. You don't even know when that time comes where you're going to have to give an accountability of your life. But I know that Jesus is, Like he said, and he declared it, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but through me. That's what Jesus was saying. Have you accepted forgiveness at the cross? Have you repented of your sin? Have you turned to him and received by faith and grace of God alone the forgiveness of your sins? Where he can take your sin, no matter what you've done, and give you a second chance. In a moment, we're going to pray. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up right now.
But some of you might be believers today, and you're, you're not walking in God's presence. You've lost your sense of his presence in your life. I love the verse in 1 John 1, 9. What separates us from God is our sin, which consequence is shame, and, 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 and we stay away from God's presence. So we don't want to walk in deep in God's presence. We don't want to get too close. Oh, we know that he loves us, but we don't experience the fullness of his joy. For some of us, we just need to, like the Apostle John said, if we confess, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's our lawyer, the best lawyer in the universe. If you come humbly before you, say, God, I confess that I'm a sinner. I confess that I need you, God. I confess that I have sinned against you. Against you only have I sinned. The Bible says that if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful. He is faithful. That's his character. He is just. And he'll forgive us of our sins. Not only forgive us of our sins, but he'll cleanse us of our sins. The word cleansing means he'll just make you spotless before God. I don't know about you, but that's, I, don't even, I can't even fathom. Like, God, why would God want to do that? Because he wants to dwell with his people. That's what we were created for. You were created and I were created for a relationship with him, of intimacy with him. Do you have that intimacy? It's only found in one place. It's only found in Jesus, the name that is above all names. And I invite you today, if you just maybe want to get on your knees wherever you may be, Maybe in your seat, turn around, get on your knees if you're able to, and just surrender to him and say, Jesus, I want to experience in the land of the living your presence. I want to experience. I want to be like the deer that pants through the waters. I'm hungry for you. I'm thirsty for you, God. Come satisfy me. Come give me life, God. Come breathe in me, God. Bring that joy back. Restore the joy of my salvation. So whatever God is asking and he's moving in your heart, maybe it's just take a step of, for the first time ever, of surrendering your life to Jesus, of saying, Jesus, I confess that I need you. God, I confess that I'm a sinner. Come into my life. Make me a new creation, God. I want to be born again of your spirit, God. Come, forgive my sins and cleanse me. Make me a new creation, God. I, wanna, I want you to dwell with me, God. The Bible says that those who turn to him by faith, if you confess with your mouth, Romans 10, 9, and 10, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. As you turn to him and confess with your mouth, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes and is deposited in our life. And we become these living, walking, breathing temples of God. So I'm going to invite you to stand at this moment as we close our time and before we end with worship. And as we end with worship, I'm going to invite you to pray. I want to pray with, with you. I want to pray for you. But let's worship and prepare our hearts. And at the very end, I will pray uh, for us. Let, let's worship as we take time to close this time. ever 
accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've never confessed with your mouth. Your life has not been restored back into a relationship with you, with with God. Uh, I want to invite you right now that you'd pray this prayer. This prayer is not what saves you. It's you coming with a heart that is sincere before God. It's not a magical prayer, but it's you coming sincerely before God and declaring your condition before him of sin, separation from God. You're saying, God, you are the only way. So if you just want to pray after me, whether you're online or here in person, and just pray it out, Father God, I realize that I'm a sinner, that I'm separated from you, God, but I come to you right now. God, I confess that I need you, Jesus. Will you come into my life, make me a new creation, God? I pray that you would forgive my sins. I repent. I turn. I do a 180 in my life. I'm going in one direction now. I turn to you, Jesus, and to the cross of Jesus, the fact that you died for me, that you were that second Adam. And Lord, I, I, I want to live for you the rest of my life. Whatever you say, whatever you do, you are Lord. I declare you as Lord of my life. And so from this day forward, I want to follow you. And if you prayed that prayer, I want you to share it with somebody. Um, and I want to pray also for those of you may, that need to be restored back to his presence. God, I pray for those that maybe have been struggling, God. We all struggle with sin, God. But Lord, we don't really truly understand fully that work of the cross, on the cross, God. And we don't want to sin anymore, God. But Lord, we do fall short, God. We do sin and continue to sin even in our, in our state, Lord. Even though we are right before you, God, and we still fall short of your glory, God. But I thank you that we have the best advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And God, we lift up that name. And so I pray right now, God, that those who are struggling, I pray that they would learn how to confess before you their need of you, God, and that, that you would come, that you would not only, pro the promise that you've made, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us, but you also are there to cleanse us. So I pray that you do a cleansing in your people, God. That we learn how to confess, to agree with you the way that you see our sin. Thank you for the work of, of the cross, Lord. And God, how could we ever repay you, God? We, we, we don't want to sin anymore, God, but we want to live for you. And we pray this, that you would restore your people. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.